The Start On Demand. On demand. An eight-year-old girl is told she's too big to be a princess at a charity gala. What is the effect that that is going to have on her self-esteem? Jugmeet Singh has a racist encounter in Montreal when a man comes up to him rather nicely, but says, you should take off your turban so you look more Canadian. It's opening night for the Winnipeg Jets. Leah Hextall joins us for the latest edition of Hextall on Hockey. And I saw this weekend's big movie, Joker, and have a review. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, October 3rd podcast for The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Ice hockey, Greg Mackling. It is back. Was back last night. Toronto Maple Leafs, half the country on the edge of their seat, waiting to find out who would be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was yeah, actually pretty there? cool. They revealed it in a, like a, did you watch the video where they went to, so John Tavares is the captain, but they shared it with him by putting a jersey on his newborn baby. And uh, with the C on it, and then like he came into the room, and they were all standing there, the coaches and the GM, and then handed him his jersey. It was a big production. It was a big to do. It it was a to do. That's for I sure. watched the whole thing because it was someone tweeted, "Watch the emotional reaction of John Tavares as he finds out he's the captain." So I'm all in. There's this cute little baby, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" And then he walks in the room. He's like, "Oh wow, what a surprise! Thanks, guys!" And I was like. <laughs> Were you surprised? It doesn't sound like you were. Yeah, there was no surprise. <laughs> this was not a surprise. But they really hooked me in with that video. I'll well, tell you that good much. Well, marketing then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'd have been, uh, as soon as I saw the baby, I would have been, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> what if it was a dog? Like a cute little pug. Yeah, oh, dogs? They're, dogs are great. Babies, nah. <laughs> well, the, the Jets get back at it tonight uh, for the first time since, I guess, April. They didn't play too long uh, after the regular season last year, unlike the year before, and unlike 12 months ago when the Jets were the favorite team by many experts to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, A lot of people saying the Jets may not even make the playoffs this year, and if you look at the defensive six that they're starting the season with, um, there's good reason for a little bit of concern and even perhaps that pessimism. So I think Leah Hextall is going to join us this morning and try and sort it all out. What a difference a year makes in the sense of the optimism you felt a year ago post that Stanley Cup run, and then this year it's just crazy to think how your emotions have run all over the place, and now it kind of feels like you're starting at the bottom again with that feeling. Sports did their annual sort of, uh, they do, I guess they, they do the predictions. They put the season through their computer simulator and yep. the Boston Bruins emerged as a champion. And I believe the Jets are ousted in the first round. Well, at least they make the playoffs in that model. So, you know, it's nice to get a couple of home playoff games. So we'll see what happens. Uh, that's why they play the season. Just remember the St. Louis Blues were in last place on January 3rd of 2019. And well, they got their Stanley Cup rings and hoisted the Stanley Cup banner to the roof or the ceiling of their arena last night. So 
So you're telling me there's a chance. There's always a chance, Loren. Always a chance. At 6.37, there's a chance that there's a rather rude man who bumped into Jugmeet Singh in Montreal at the Atwater Market. Loren, what happened there? Well, it's a video that first when you see it, when when I read the headline about the altercation, I was like, oh, this sounds so awful and uncomfortable. And then when we play the audio, I think you're really going to feel for yourself about the the whole wrongness of the situation. But an unidentified man confronted NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who is Sikh and wears the turban, as we all know, and basically said, you'd look more Canadian if you took that turban off. And I saw a really interesting comment on Twitter last night from a friend of mine who said, this is exactly what racism looks like. It's not obvious. It's somebody walking up to you quietly and just suggesting, hey, by the way, you'd fit in better if you tried to be more like us. And I'm putting that all in quotes. And I saw a tweet last night that suggested the same thing from from some uh, someone, a woman of color who said, I know that whisper all too well. And the gentleman might be a very nice man altogether. His approach was somewhat cordial, dare I say, but Jagmeet Singh's reaction was far more Canadian than the suggestion itself. And I was very, very impressed with the way Singh handled himself. Yeah, that quiet racism is kind of scary. I remember getting in a cab in Las Vegas, I don't know, seven years ago, and the driver was white, super friendly guy. Uh, what's your, where, where are you going? Where have you been so far? Oh, you should try this. You should do that. And then out of nowhere, he says, yeah, so all these Arabs. And uh, I look at my girlfriend at the time, and we just, that that was the end of the conversation sure. for us. That was mm-hmm. the end of our contribution, because I wasn't going to f- challenge this guy. Um and he, I just listened to him rant and rave, in, but yet in a in a in a polite way. It was the strangest thing. Well, so. this guy at the end goes on to say he, he he confronts Singh, says, "By the way, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, take off that turban." Then says, "I'm going to vote for you. Good luck." So he's like, <laughs> you know, and this whole thing, it's like I like you and I like who you are, but not really all of who you are. Right. And so it's just this really uncomfortable line. exchange. But when you hear what I think the lesson I hope for everybody is when you hear how. Singh reacts, it's like, okay, like, uh, instead of, and he had every right to be angry, he calmly just said, that's not what Canada's about, man. And I thought that was fantastic. I thought it was terrific, too. And in a moment, we're going to talk more about Jugmeet Singh. But in our next segment, we want to talk about random acts of kindness. And we've already gotten a whole bunch of text messages at 204-780-6868. Text message here we just have to share. It's super inspiring. Good morning. Two Saturdays ago, I took my mom to St. Vitale Walmart to do her grocery shopping, as she does every Saturday. When she was in line to pay, she asked a gentleman behind her, who only had a couple of items, to go ahead of her. He did, and when he was finished paying for his items, he handed her a $100 bill to pay for her groceries. To thank her for letting him go ahead of her, as not very many people would be kind enough to do that anymore. She, of course, was shocked, tried to refuse, but he would have none of it, wished her well, and went on his way. Never have seen such a look of shock and wonder and gratitude on my mom's face. It was very kind of him, and had I witnessed it, I was in a separate line, I would have given him a huge bear hug. Whoever you were, thank you for being so kind to my mother. Wow. Isn't that awesome? $100. That's That's a beauty. Crazy. That's like, that's super generous. It's one thing to the coffee or, you know, a couple items, but that's really saying something. 
Thank you for sharing that story with us, and you can continue to share at 204-780-6868, and we will have the discussion coming up in about 10 minutes' time. But right now, we want to talk about the term, the phrase that was coined by a man in Montreal, look like a Canadian. Look like a Canadian. What Sounds is... like a Bangles song. Yeah, right. Look like look a like Canadian. Like, thank you, yeah. That's, you throw in that music, that's how ridiculous it sounds. But in Montreal yesterday, an unidentified man told NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who is a practicing Sikh, that if he took off his turban, he would look more like a Canadian. Global's Michael Couture now with the exchange and how issues of race and identity have emerged as very key issues in this campaign. It was supposed to be a leisurely walk through the Montreal market, the perfect photo op. Jagmeet Singh was strolling around, talking to people while picking up some produce. Now, every interaction was cordial and warm until this. Bonjour, monsieur. Hello, how, how are, are you? you? Good to see you, sir. You okay? Yes, you yeah. too. Pleasure to meet you. You know what? What's that? You should cut your turban off and you put a little, you look like a Canadian. Oh, I think Canadians look like all sorts of people. That's the beauty yeah, of Canada. Yeah, but, uh, that's okay. I don't agree, in, sir. In Rome, you do as the Romans. Do. Hey, but this is Canada. You can do like whatever you like. <laughs> all right. Thank <laughs> Thanks. I hope you win. You can see Singh handled the comment with class and quickly moved on. The incident happened after Singh had met with the media, so reporters were unable to ask the NDP leader about that interaction. But he later tweeted, quote, Lots of Canadians are told they have to change who they are to be successful. My message to all of you, be yourself and celebrate who you are. We all belong. While he hasn't faced that kind of open intolerance on the campaign trail, Singh has said he's dealt with that kind of sentiment throughout his life. The NDP put out this ad before the campaign in an effort to appeal to Quebecers, showing the leader without his turban to dispel any myths and show an openness to Quebec. Now he's hoping that will come through in tonight's French-language debate on TVA. And while Wednesday's incident is isolated, it's also an example of what Singh faces in Quebec, where a popular secularism law prevents people in positions of authority from wearing any visible religious symbols, like a turban. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Ottawa. So that was Mike Fowling yesterday. That debate took place last night. That exchange between the man and Singh, we, we were just saying off air how gracefully he handled that, handled that. But then the point was just made that, well, maybe that's because he has practically practiced that phrase. Like it might just come out naturally because so many times somebody has said the exact same thing to him. Why are you wearing that turban? Take it off to be more like, quote, us. You want to play that one more time just in, in case you, you didn't hear it? Yeah, let's do that. Pleasure to meet you. You know what? What's that? You should cut your turban off and you put a little, you look like a Canadian. Oh, I think Canadians look like all sorts of people. That's the beauty yeah, of Canada. Yeah, but, uh, that's okay. in, I don't agree, in, sir. In Rome, you do as the Romans. Hey, but this is Canada. You can do like whatever you like. I think it was an incredibly graceful answer, handled incredibly well by Jagmeet Singh. And uh, here we are mentioned earlier off the air, poor NDP here. They have probably the most likable leader. And at the same time, uh, maybe of the three major parties, the, the least electable unfortunately, but uh, that was something it, it renewed. It should have depressed me or angered me somehow, but it didn't. It had the exact opposite effect on me. I just, I felt proud that somebody like Jagmeet Singh would just, you know, just hand it with such class. I, I was very impressed 
disheartening, but more impressed but than anything. But he's also standing up to this person. And so I think for the rest of us, when you do hear those things, how often do you just walk away from somebody sure. in your office or in your life? You overhear them say something and you think, well, I don't want to get into it with this person right now. So I'm not going to I'm not going to fight back. But maybe we should be at the very least saying, sorry, that's not how I think. Either stop talking like that. And walk away, or or I'm going to get into a debate with you. I've been so, learning since school. What is the term? Uh, a mosaic, mosaic of multiculturalism. That's exactly right. what I thought last night. I was like, in grade three, I think, or four, we had to memorize the differences between a mosaic and a melting pot. So yeah. for as long as I can remember, that has been the message in this country mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That we value the things that make us different and we celebrate them. Uh, the man who approached Jugmeet Singh, with, you know, I don't want to show any ageism because I could be accused of that. But just based on what I saw, I'm not quite so sure that gentleman uh, attended school when that was being practiced or promoted, uh, not to get him off the hook in any way, shape or form. But I think it's a tremendous message uh, on all sides, uh, this interaction and how it went down yesterday. Just now from a listener texting to say, I've been told that while getting to know my fellow staffers and my immediate response was... What does a Canadian look like? Should I be wearing a plaid sweater while chopping down a tree with an axe? <laughs> like, what do you, and, and that, that obviously happens to a lot of people. I can only imagine. I, I, we want to keep it positive, but would love to hear your experiences on that. My mom always used to say when someone would, would say something negative, kill them with kindness. Jagmeet Singh did exactly that. Lorraine McNabb, for those who missed the setup earlier, what did you see on Facebook the other day? It was a message from a young woman in Selkirk in one of those uh, Selkirk groups where she talked about how thankful she was. She writes, oh my God, thank you so much to the very nice man who saw me drop my money, my cash outside the housing building. It was such a crappy Monday. I was rushing around. I dropped my rent money. You saved me. I believe his name is Luke. He works for the taxi service. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because he ran back inside and handed over her cash, hundreds of dollars, her rent money, without, without, with no questions asked. And so I saw that going to bed the other night and thought, oh, good. Hmm. There are good people in this world because I know we've been focusing a lot and we have to because there are important issues about, you know, people stealing from us or crime and all the rest. But to know that that still occurs on a pretty regular basis had me thinking, what else have we seen that makes us happy and makes us want to pay it forward. And even the peripheral stuff right now, Kelly's kind of, the bombers are struggling, the weather sucks, yeah. you know. So even some of the things that we count on to raise our spirits are letting us down right now. So we're trying to uh, crank up the positivity a little bit. Uh, have you got a story for us you can share? I, you, nothing that I could think of uh, off the top of my head. But just recently, I mean, uh, uh, the video of Alex Dean and Colton Pareko bringing a Stanley Cup ring to the house of little Layla, and then the presentation. Uh, just, uh, it is so authentic. Uh, I was talking about this with Kyle Milroy yesterday. There will be other circumstances in the future where I'm sure teams will do nice things. But the St. Louis Blues are very original 
and very sincere in how they have adopted this little girl who's been battling cancer. And if you have not seen that video yet, uh, just Google Layla gets her Stanley Cup ring and make sure you got a, pa- a box of tissues right beside you. It's the authenticity in it, right? It because is. they could have been told by a boss, go ahead and give her this ring. Yeah. But you really feel that they, they've befriended her. Yeah. And who better than Alex Steen? To, to make that presentation. There's a connection there because, of course, we think of Alex as a Winnipegger. Sure. Uh, and uh, it was just so heartfelt. Yeah, there was nothing contrived about it, one iota. Remember when the Bruins stole a ring back from that little boy? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of course you'd find a counterbalance, bro. It sounds like something they would do, but I do not remember them doing that. Yeah. Jeff, you got anything? Uh, I got a story in which I am the hero. <laughs> the good Yeah! Uh, last year, I had a uh, reason to call the sewer and drain people to come unclog my sink line somewhere down the stretch there. And the guy forgot his shop vac on my porch. And I didn't notice it for two days because he left in the dark and he put it by the bushes or whatever. And he just forgot it because it was dark and he just missed it, cleaning out his gear. And then two days later, he's like, wait, what's, what's that? Oh, it must be from the guy. And I tried calling him a bunch. And he had... I had his phone number, his cell phone number, but he didn't have caller ID or voicemail or anything. So it's like one of these weird things where if he doesn't pick up, you just can't get a hold of him. And I, so every day for a week, I kept calling and calling him until I finally he answered it. And I was like, hey, I think I have your shop back. And he was – you've never seen a guy like more relieved in his life. He, he comes over. He was walking up. I'm standing outside, and he's just – his arms open. He goes – Heart of an angel. Heart of an angel. <laughs> Boy, he doesn't know you. Well. I was going to say, did he miss the mark on that one? And I was like, hold on, wait, let me get this uh, on video. I just, <laughs> how, how much did you charge him to get it back? I said, here's half of it, and for 50 bucks, I'll give you the other. It's no. funny how people react, though, when you do something like that. And uh, yeah. it's almost like people are surprised wow. when nice things happen. We had the same thing a couple of years ago. A camera guy and I were downtown, found somebody's wallet had ID in it, and so we tracked it down through a lawyer, through another lawyer, like because it identified himself as a lawyer visiting in town. And this guy wrote like five times to be like, I just want to say thanks again for like yeah. returning my wallet. And it never, you know, uh, I was almost to the point like, buddy, like, not a big deal. Like, we just yeah. gave what we found oh. back. But, but people, the, wallet, the wallet's huge because there's... You know, oh, yeah. half a dozen ID. things in there that are a huge yeah. pain to replace. And Greg, wasn't it our friend Teddy Wyman who wrote the story about Justin Medlock being out jogging yes, and sir. finding the wallet of a neighbor and returning that? 100. Yeah. percent And yeah, that's uh, you, I, I, until you lose a wallet and have oh. it returned to you, you don't realize a how stressful it can be to lose your wallet, but b when someone goes out of their way to track you down to save you all the hassle mm-hmm. that goes with losing your wallet. Yeah, you don't really understand it because it is a pain in the back side. Jeff Forche, speaking of pains in the backside. <laughs> That's me. Um, no, uh, there was one day I was uh, getting my hair cut and I was waiting to get in to get my hair cut. Anyhow, um, <laughs> yes, I can explain great that. Yeah. Great start. Nice and, setup. So, so there's a, a kid who's sitting uh, kind of right beside me and as we're waiting there, I guess his mom's getting his her haircut, and there's this guy walking across the mall, and you see him pull out his cell phone, and 20 falls out of his pocket. So this kid gets up, runs over, grabs the money, and he's looking at the guy, and he's like, he wants to give the guy the money, but I don't think he's allowed to leave the hair place because, you know, he's a kid. He's like six. So anyways, I go up, I grab the money, and I run after the guy, but the kid, like, I, t- I could tell the kid wanted to give the money to the guy, but yeah, I gave the money to the guy. He was happy. The kid was happy. 
I just felt so good for this kid because he wanted to do the right thing. Because it made you feel good to see that happening, right? When people yeah. are doing the right thing. You, you grabbed the money just because you were hoping he would say, keep it. Yeah. <laughs> Here, kid, get a haircut. Maybe. Maybe. I, I thought the story was going to end, so I grabbed the 20 and ran. <laughs> and I was gone. <laughs> I've told got a this, better haircut at a more expensive place. <laughs> I've told this story before, and I guess this is, I, I don't want to declare myself the hero, but... Uh, I was Jeff at, already did. You can. I was at the Liquor Mart uh, on New Year's Eve when we were used to work on 930 Portage Avenue. So there's that LC right across the street just west of Arlington. And New Year's Eve at like 4.30, six tills open. Every single one of them has 50 people in line. You can't even navigate your way through the store because the lineups are just huge. And uh, you could see when I finally got to the till, you could see this guy, the cashier, working his butt off. He was tired. And I just said to him, do I dare ask you... How are you doing? And he just kind of stopped and kind of went, thank you. And uh, and he had a big smile on his face. He shook my hand. And yeah. then he said, hey, how are you doing to the next customer? And just like, just that just simple, pick me up, eh? just that simple moment of decency just changed his entire outlook for the day. So, you it's know. It's not hard. No. It's almost sad to hear how little you have to do. Yeah. To make someone's day better. I mean, we had a great story of a listener sharing with us how some man gave her $100 in the grocery line. And that's amazing. That's super generous and awesome yeah. that he paid her grocery bill. But the, how are you doing? Yeah. You look nice today. Simple act of kindness. I think it's so great yeah. that your hair's brown and shiny. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what else could you say to make somebody feel good? How well, hard is that? And by the way, that gentleman was listening this morning. And so we give a salute to you, fine sir, for doing what you did. Well, I think it's the time of year when many Canadians sort of have put the put to bed your relaxed days of summer and you've kind of gotten to that planning mode, which might involve doctor's appointments or dentist appointments or flu shots. And that'd be on the mind of many of us. Uh, Health Canada actually just saying yesterday, there's been some delays in the flu shot vaccine and we might see some shortage. So we'll be talking about that throughout the day when it comes to our health care. But the bottom line is health and our system regularly tops the list of what's important to us. It also tops our list of complaints but does that mean we're prepared to pay more to fix the system? Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos and joins us now. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. Okay, so you've done the polling. What are the biggest complaints when it comes to the healthcare system? Well, the number one complaint uh, is wait times in emergency rooms and hospitals, followed by being able to afford prescription drugs and medicine and declining care uh, quality of care followed by things like access to a family doctor being, you know, waiting to see doctors. So when you sum it all up, it's really a combination of wait times, access to pharmaceuticals, and access to particularly specialist doctors. Uh, people just feel that the system isn't easy to use, and that they don't necessarily, aren't necessarily getting what they need. Daryl, 37% of respondents saying this is the number one issue for them in this election. How many elections do you suspect if we went back and, and analyzed the data that that would be true? I, I'm guessing it's been that way for decades. 
Yeah, busted. It's nothing new. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it, it isn't. And, and, you know, the interesting thing in politics is, and you, you'll see this in the Manitoba, you saw this in the Manitoba election. Everybody will talk about health care. But it's, 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 they'll talk about it in sort of very supportive, you know, uh, ways. They'll you talk about how it relates to their values and how important it is. But nobody will come out and say, I'm going to dramatically reform the health care system because that terrifies people when they hear that. Yeah. Us. And more than that, Daryl, just when it comes to the money that we're willing to put into it. I mean, we always hear about the complaints, but then if you ask somebody, okay, well, what would you be willing to spend out of your tax dollars? The answer is always like, well, not that much. Yeah, well, and for half of us, it's nothing. Um, which is really interesting, half of it. And particularly the people who are in the older categories who you figure would be more concerned about health care because they're running into going into the parts of their life in which they're probably going to be using more of the system. And the reason for that is because people feel that there's a lot of money already going into the health care system, but it needs to be spent more efficiently so that the system itself needs to be changed somehow to make sure that the dollars that are going in there are used in the best way. I always find it interesting that, that people will say they don't want to pay any anymore, yet in the very next breath or perhaps a few sentences later in that conversation, we might suggest that we have a more Americanized system where you have more choice. Well, guess what comes with choice? It typically comes with a bill attached, a monthly invoice, and so I think we might want to be careful about what we wish for. Yeah, and it also speaks to the governments, though, thinking about what the future of healthcare is and people now starting to ask questions about how they actually deliver the services. So, for example, when we ask people, you know, what, what's one of the things that we should do to, to make this better, top of the list is we should allow nurse practitioners and pharmacists to do more. So they're starting, people are not dumb. They're thinking intelligently about things like you were just mentioning in, uh, in, in uh, the setup for this, flu shots. Why do doctors have to get flu shots? I mean, I know pharmacies are now doing it. I know nurse practitioners are now doing it. But the public's sitting back and saying, well, maybe there's, if they're going to do that, maybe there's a few more things that they can do. How much do we need doctors personally to actually do in the healthcare system? Because we know they're the, they're, they're the hardest people to get to see. We want to reserve them for the things that are most important to us. And we also know they're really expensive. But it's the easiest political fodder, so to speak, to come out and just say, I want to I want to create a better system, but not have any ideas to change it. We've seen that. You mentioned Manitoba, massive health care reforms that have all sorts of people all over the fence with how they feel because it's dangerous politically just to, to revamp the system. And so it's easier to toe the line. Yeah, there's a lot of entrenched interests. There's a lot of big money. And uh, there's also uh, you're working in an area in which there's a lot of very high emotions. People are, uh, as even in this federal election campaign, you know, we ask people of all the things that are being talked about, you know, Justin Trudeau's uh, leadership, uh, uh, you know, uh, free trade with the United States, uh, you know, what's going on uh, around the world, uh, you know, different issues in Canada, healthcare pops right to the top of the list. And that's because it's life and death. And people really do care about it. Yeah, and everybody's affected by it. And uh, one thing that can be very divisive is the conversation around climate change. And it's uh, the second most important uh, item on the list of Canadians in this campaign. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's pretty much tied with uh, number three, which is affordability. And there is the rub, as Shakespeare would say. And and the problem is, when we talk about uh, climate change, people say, yes, I'm very, very concerned about the climate. I want to do something about it. And then we say, well, then we're going to put in place a carbon tax. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We just put out a poll uh, yesterday on the climate issue. Same number is, is in this poll. You know, half of Canadians saying, yeah, I'm really concerned about it, but I don't really want to spend anything on it. I'm not prepared to pay anything for it. 
because they think it's somebody else's responsibility to pay for it. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Again, the headline at globalnews.ca, cjob.com. Healthcare is a top election issue, but many don't want to pay more for it. Ipsos poll. Daryl, thank you very much for the time. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) It's something funny. First things first, I'm not going to compare his Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, to Jack Nicholson or Heath Ledger or Cesar Romero or Mark Hamill from the cartoon or any other Joker, because this is not a movie about the Batman supervillain Joker. This is a movie about a sick man who is systematically beaten down figuratively and literally by society and eventually becomes the man who will later become the Batman supervillain. And I have a feeling there are going to be some people who are disappointed by this movie because they're probably going to go in thinking, Joker, like oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, this is going to be a comic book. No, no, this is not a comic book movie with a wild story in action. If that's what you want, look elsewhere. This is a deep character dive. And it's a fascinating one, but it's difficult and it's dark. Virtuoso performance from Joaquin Phoenix. I was just mesmerized with his performance. Uh, great musical score, super haunting. Like I was just I, I, intense. You know, I just, it's, it's the feeling of dread was all present throughout this film. I will say, I think it takes too long to really get going because most of the movie is just incident after incident of Arthur, it's his character's name, getting screwed by the world and how it slowly breaks him down. And after a while, it just starts to feel tedious, like they were going out of their way to make sure we didn't see this as a comic book movie because it's almost torturous watching this guy deal with all of the pain he's handed, some of it physical, with beatings that he endures or emotional pain. You know, he just wants people to show him some kindness. We were talking earlier about decency, and he, he just, no matter where he goes, no one shows him an ounce of decency. And I think we can all kind of relate to feeling a little unhinged when instead of being treated with that decency, we're treated like garbage. And in Arthur's case, it's eventually too much. That's not a spoiler. That's the whole premise of this movie. It's about how a mentally ill man is shattered by the world to the point where he snaps and becomes the Joker. But what's interesting about this Joker is you kind of can't help but feel for him because his entire life has been pain. He has no one. Everyone makes fun of him. Everyone thinks he's a creep. No one is nice to him. Who wouldn't snap under those circumstances? The movie's been a source of controversy, though, due mm-hmm. to fears that it's going to inspire real-life violence. Oh, boy. That this sort of thing already happens all the time. Guys who feel let down by the world snap and turn to violence and go on a mass shooting or whatever. I'm not sure how I feel about those complaints or criticisms. I mean, art can't all be warm and fuzzy. And if anything, maybe this movie can serve as a reminder to be a good person because you never know how your crappy behavior is going to affect someone. And I don't mean you'd better be nice or they're going to snap and go kill someone. But... As we talked about earlier, being nice to people can be the difference between a good day or a bad day for them. Overall, I liked this movie. A little slow and tedious, but just a magnificent performance and a really believable transformation from this meek man into the guy who will be the Joker. Uh, Chilling, dark, violent 
I'll point that out. It gets violent as it goes along. Uh, so this is not for the faint of heart. And again, if you're looking for a wild action ride, this is not the movie. But if you want a good character study and a great performance, Joker is the movie. Four couch cushions out of five. Is Four. this a setup for another movie? It's just meant to be a standalone. It's not connected to any extended universe. There, there are ties to Batman and the Wayne family, but... As far as I know, this is just meant to be a one-off. It's crazy how serious, I think the studio put out a statement even saying, like, this is not meant to be an example of how if you hurt somebody or bully them, they're going to turn into a mass murderer and that's okay. Like, it's it's crazy how people analyze things yeah. now in this world that we're in. And you said art is not meant to always be viewed with the same lens. Yeah. It almost feels like it's that, you know, when you're watching a movie and you want to learn more about the historical facts and you're Googling it. Yeah. And finding out more, it feels like they went, we're going to make a whole movie so you don't have to figure it all out. We're going to lay it out how this guy became who he became. Vegas, Golden Knights. Yeah. In Vegas. Yeah. In the desert. Yes. And how does it not melt? Yes. They make a good job, I guess. They take well. They make a good job. Yeah. So is this like a show? Is it like the Harlem Globetrotters? Me and my wife saw we saw the Britney Spears. So is it like a, uh, you know, like a, a little travel? Bit of a, a little bit of a better show, I would say. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Greg Mackling, what was that? Chance the Rapper is back. NHL on NBC. The NHL is back, period. Last night, Vegas Golden Knights started their third season in the desert, and that's Chance the Rapper going back and forth with uh, Vegas Golden Knight, Jonathan Marcheseau. Okay. Well, very good. Hockey started last night, and now... It starts for the Jets. Yeah, Winnipeg Jets uh, starting uh, their season in New York City against the Rangers. Leah Hextall joins us now, play-by-play announcer, longtime hockey analyst, and a regular feature. Hextall and Hockey here on 680 CGOB. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. How is everyone today as we get the hockey season rolling? Well, we already had someone text to say they only want to hear positive things from you, Leah. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not sure. Goodbye, actually... Leah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll talk to you guys later. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So there are many who speculated, you know, like a year ago, we were talking about Jets making a run for the Stanley Cup. And now there's some saying they might not even make a run for a playoff spot. What's the reality as we head into this season tonight? Well, the reality is they're in the Western Conference, they're in the Central Division, and the Central Division, everyone got better. And unfortunately for the Winnipeg Jets, they took some massive blows on their blue line, which means the reality of the situation is that, as always, your goaltender needs to be one of your best players. But Connor Hellebuck this season is going to need to return to the Vezna form from two seasons ago. The reason being, they have lost four of their top defensemen in Tyler Myers, Jacob Truba, Ben Schrott, and we have the Dustin Bufflin decision still hanging in the balance that skill but more importantly that size on the back end which is so important in the central you add that the injury to Nathan Beaulieu upper injury he is on the trip from what I'm told he will be a few weeks away Sammy Miku reassigned to the Moose I've been told 110 percent he would have been with the big club this year but due to the car accident the groin injury he's just not in game shape which means even once he heals he's still going to have to have some reps with the Moose before they're going to let him back into Winnipeg's lineup, which means that defense is going to be under siege for the first few games, and the Jets' schedule is very difficult coming out of the gate. So we're going to have to wait and see how they handle it because the fact is, is yes, the forward core 
looks the same as last year. They've had those signings in line A and Connor. It looks good to go. But we're going to have to see that forward core be more defensively tight, which means the Jets are going to have to give up some offense. Nobody saw more pucks than Connor Hellebuck last year, Leah. And I've been joking that I hope he likes the taste of rubber because he may see even more shots come his way this year, really in terms of that defensive core that we'll see for the Jets for the foreseeable future. The fact that Dmitry Kulikov is on the first pairing with Josh Morrissey may be all we need to know. Well, I'm going to be positive here like that young lady asked me to be. And, you know, I'm not uh, so low on Dmitry Kulikov. I think he can handle the load, but I don't think he can handle the load, to your point, all season. It's really interesting here to see what's going to happen with Dustin Bufflin. And we do know that he is surveying his future, his desire in the game. The good thing is the season is starting. And I think anyone who has ever been an athlete or a competitor in their life on or off the pitch or field or ice knows that once you see your team in action, once you see the season start going, I think Bufflin is going to feel it. He's either going to go, wow, I'm missing it. I'm missing being with my teammates. I'm missing playing the game. Or he'll be sitting on his couch going, you know what? I don't miss it. So I do believe we're going to get a decision here in the next couple of weeks. And rightfully so, because at some point this becomes selfish. I understand that he's surveying his future. I understand that he needs to figure it out for himself, but there's an organization, there's teammates, and there's fans who deserve a decision from Dustin Bufflin because this organization needs to move forward or they need to bring him back with open arms into their lineup. You mentioned expecting that decision potentially within a couple of weeks. Is that the pressure that's also being put on him from the organization as far as we know and saying like, look, we get where you're at, but we do need this sooner rather than later? Loren, the, you know, the hard part about this is that the team has no protection. And this is something that may come up in the next collective bargaining agreement. Because right now, they are completely handcuffed. They can't really put pressure on him. From what I've been told, there is constant communication between the team and multiple members. The coaching staff, the ownership group, the players. Everyone is consistently talking with him to see what the decision may be or what's going on. I wouldn't say that there's pressure being put on him to make a decision as of yet, but everyone knows that this decision needs to come. Listen, we're all adults. We all, in anyone's life, if you have to make a decision if you want to retire or not, this decision needs to come. And I have to say, I was waiting to come out on this until the season started because I felt you got to give the player time. I understand it's a difficult decision, but at the same time, you have to be an adult, Dustin Bufflin. You have to make it because there's too much on the line here for this club, which is a business, just like all of our businesses, and they need to move on or they need to have you come back into their lineup. So this Dustin Bufflin situation may be opening a a door for uh, 18-year-old first-round draft choice from last last year, pardon me, Vili Hainola, and he's going to start the season with the Jets. It may give him an opportunity to prove that he belongs or we may find out that he doesn't. But let's pretend Bufflin retires outside of Hainola. What moves could the Jets make to shore up their defense if if Bufflin does decide to hang them up? Well, Billy Hanala, it's a very interesting situation here because the fact is is that he's not ready to be in the National Hockey League. Yes, his skill set has put him up there, but I don't see him being here past the nine game mark because of his size in the conference they're in. If they were over in the East, he might be able to make it. But even Patrick Liney himself said, listen, he's weak. That's not a hit on him. That's an 18-year-old body, and that's just the facts. 
but he's done very well. Neil Pionk, though, let's not forget about him. I know that when Jacob Treba got traded, everybody thought, oh, who is this kid? But he has showed very well. The coaching staff is extremely high on him, and they do believe he's going to be able to add some offensive input. But really from there, I'm not quite sure. The fact is, is that I don't see any of the free agents that are still sitting around being the option due to the fact that they need to have speed. This is a speed game. It is also a young man's game. When you look at it, the oldest team right now, guys, in the NHL is 29 years of age. The oldest team. It shows us where we're going. So a lot of the unrestricted free agents that still may be available there are past their prime, and I don't really think that they're an option for the Jets. So I don't know if they do anything, to tell you the truth. I don't know if they wait and see it out. But in the end, there's something in me that thinks Dustin Bufflin's coming back. So what can we expect tonight as they take on the Rangers? Well, you know what? They're going to open up at MSG. It's probably one of the best places to play, but it's very hard to play on the road. But it is center stage. I think, you know what, this is going to be a game that's going to have all the kind of nerves that happen with a home opener. You have players that don't know what to expect in the new players and you have veteran players who are going to be ready to go and looking to prove something. But I think this is going to be a good contest. This is something that the Jets should come out and win tonight. They are a better team on paper than the New York Rangers, but the New York, the New York Rangers, their rebuild has had some advancements. They got the high draft pick. They've made the trade for Truba. They've always got the King in that and Henrik Lundqvist. So this will be a tough task, but more importantly, it's the way the Jets start on the road because they open the season on the road as they have one, two, three, four games here I'm looking at and in a very short time span before they get home for their home opener against the Wild on the 10th. Hextall and Hockey, Leah Hextall joining us live on 680 CGOB. Leah, we're glad you're back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good day and happy hockey. Pleasure to meet you. You know what? What's that? You should cut your turban off and you put a little, you look like a Canadian. Oh, I think Canadians look like all sorts of people. That's the beauty yeah, of Canada. Yeah, but uh, That's okay. I don't the, agree, in, sir. In Rome, you do as a Roman stuff. Hey, but this is Canada. You can do like whatever you like. Mackling McGarry and McNabb. That was an exchange between an unidentified man in Montreal and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh yesterday. Did he go on to say that he was going to vote for him? It actually ends later. He said, okay, well, good luck. I'm, I'm going to vote for you. So it's like it was this pleasant exchange because very calm voices. You know, I just, it's like, it's like a grandfather coming in and saying, I just want to give you some advice. Well, the advice is not going down very well with many Canadians this morning. Again, he said to Jagmeet Singh, practicing Sikh, if you take off your turban, you would look more Canadian. We know race and identity have emerged as very real issues and concerns in this campaign, and in particular in Quebec, where Bill C-21 was passed this summer. That's that law that bans government workers from wearing any visible religious symbols. Supriya Davidi is co-host of The Morning Show on our sister station in Toronto, and she's also written about this extensively for Global News and joins us now. After you read about that video, you then watched it and you tweeted yesterday, oh God, the video is so much worse than the written description of the interaction. What was your thought as you watched it and why did you react that way? Well, what's interesting is that when you just read the transcript, the words seem somewhat a little bit more innocuous, I I, I guess. But when you really see the way that the man invaded Jagmeet Singh's personal space and the fact that Jagmeet is like, you know, he's he smiles and he even chuckles at one point. He puts his hand on his shoulder so that he is sort of reassuring 
the man in this racist interaction as Jagmeet Singh's, you know, dignity is sort of being being questioned here Im- implicitly. Uh, it just seemed a, a lot worse. And I think everybody's reaction to this was that Jagmeet handled it so, so well. And of course he did. But I think we also need to be talking about the fact that Jagmeet is subject to a whole other level of crap that just other federal leaders have never had to deal with. So Bill C-21, a lot of people asking questions that for this example that we saw for the entire world, let alone all of Canada to see, why is it that our our leaders, the, the leaders that are vying to be Prime Minister, Supriya, are not speaking out against Bill C-21? I mean, th- this is this is really the heinous side of, of that legislation in in full view yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's important for your listeners to know also that that interaction didn't happen in some small town, backwoods, Quebec uh, town, right? That happened in Montreal. That was at Atwater Market, that, that, that interaction with Jagmeet Singh. So there's, you know, multicultural Montreal in, in, in full view, so to say. Bill 21, what's really interesting is that this isn't their first attempt, the, the Quebec province's first attempt to really try and legislate this sort of thing. This is just the first time they've really been successful at it. And honestly, I think the reason why nobody's really standing up for religious minorities in Quebec is the sole fact that Quebec has 78 federal seats. And right now, that's what all of the federal leaders are looking at. And is that then why Quebec seems to get away with more stuff than the rest of the country? Like they seem to be, they're, they're in their own little universe sometimes. Is it because the politicians are just scared to stand up to them? Honestly, yeah, I, I think so. And it's interesting because if you look at various party leaders and what their path to victory would be, of course, when 20, in 2011, when, when uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper won his majority, he did it largely without seats in Quebec. So the Conservatives do have a path to victory. The Liberals absolutely do not. And the NDP really needs to, I think, reevaluate whether or not they're going to try and make their 2011 so-called orange wave happen in Quebec again, or if they just sort of want to move on and become a suburban urban party and really buy for votes in other parts of the country instead of, you know, trying to be like that sad first-year university student trying to get back with your high school sweetheart when you're home for the summer. So there's politics at play it here, but for the rest of the country who's trying to catch up in terms of what this just means, and you know, you say something like Bill C-21 and people's eyes glaze over, I think, as soon as you throw the letters and numbers together. Why should the rest of the country be caring about this and watching what's happening there when it comes to a law that they put into place this summer that says people in government positions can't wear any sort of religious symbols or wear? Why should the rest of us be paying attention? Because I think it's really what matters to us as Canadians. If we truly do value uh, pluralism and if we truly do value religious freedom in this country, then I think we need to be asking ourselves what kind of country would let this fly in a province. It, it, it runs a front to the charter. Um, it, it, it runs a front to our, our basic you know, sensibilities. And I think we really should be speaking up. And we're already seeing a number of politicians in other parts of the country uh, most, mostly not at the federal level, but at the provincial and even municipal level, um, really call attention to this. And I think we need to keep banging that drum because, of course, the other thing about Bill 21 is that they've uh, invoked the uh, notwithstanding clause. So uh, it, 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 the legal aspect of this will be interesting to see how it plays out in front of the courts. Which essentially means that uh, we can do this even though you don't want us to. 
Yeah, it's essentially it, it, the notwithstanding clause kind of um, says that, you know, we know we're running a front to certain sections of the charter, uh, but we don't really care. And we're going to invoke this clause and it's going to give us a pass for like 30 or 33 years. Supriya, uh, my reaction to this was that Jugmeet's reaction was far more Canadian than the suggestion. Uh, it's easy for me to say what say you with regard to that? Because those whispers of racism and that lean in, I know I also saw other tweets of people saying, oh boy, do I ever know that whisper, that lean in, that that uh, quiet racism. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, a, that's sort of something we can, the positive side of this, I guess, that we can sort of take, take out of this awful situation is that Jagmeet's reaction was absolutely Canadian. You know, the fact that his response to that man right off, right off the cuff was like, oh, I think the beauty of Canada is that, you know, people look like all sorts of people. And I, I think that that's one of our, our core values. I think it does, you know, as cliche as it may sound, it does make us stronger. Diversity is our strength. And as long as we can, you know, keep shining a light um, in these dark corners where racism does uh, prevail, we'll come out better as a country for it. All right. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time with us, Priya. Our, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Supriya Dwarvedi, co-host of The Morning Show on our sister station in Toronto, AM 640. She's written about this topic extensively for Global News. And uh, she used the word crap. And it's kind of nice to hear her just put it as bluntly as that. Yeah, it's super refreshing. And, you know, Greg asked the question about that quiet racism. We had a listener text in during our conversation saying, I'm thinking this story just might be a, quote, setup. I've never seen such a polite racist. And I want to share with you a tweet from a former co-worker of mine and friend who is of Korean descent. And she tweeted last night, I've seen this many times before, many times. It's a good reminder that the vast majority of racists don't carry tiki torches or wear white hoods. They're far more likely to casually shake your hand while telling you implicitly you're not a, quote, real Canadian. Is this a good news story or a bad news story, Loren? I guess it depends on how you look at it. So new numbers out yesterday from the Toronto Stock Exchange. So boards, the companies that are listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, the women, the proportion of women now sitting on those boards is up. So the number is 17% of boards in Canada, so corporations boards, are now female, which is up from 15% last year. So we've climbed from 15% to 17% female representation, but... Almost a 40% increase. Sure, I guess you could do it that way. That's the way I would look at it. But it's frustrating to hear because, of course, we know women make up half the population but just sit on 17% or just 17% of boards. Deborah Rosati is the founder and CEO of an organization called Women Get On Board and joins us now to take a look at the numbers. Morning, Deborah. Good morning. How are you this morning? We're good. 17% technically up. Are we we in an applauding mood this morning? Are we happy? No, <laughs> definitely not. It's slow progress. Uh, and you're looking at it's been mandated. It's been part of the OSC disclosure, uh, diversity disclosure practices that came out in 2015. And here we are, 2019, and the numbers really are not increasing collectively. That being said, the S&P TSX 60 companies, when you take a smaller subset, are, there's over there's 30% of women on boards, and that's the goal that the 30% club has as a target. So they're achieving well. 
it's the small, mid-sized companies that need um, to catalyze change. And effectively, if there's not a renewal mechanism going on, so uh, a reason for board members to step down, there isn't the opportunities to bring in new diverse skill sets. And so the numbers have been creeping slowly. Um, the numbers, whether it's 17 or 18%, depending which data set you take, um, you know, you reverse it and you say, listen, 80% of boards are made up of men. So they're going to go to the network of people they know. And if only 20%, give or take, are made up of women, we need to increase that pool and that network of getting women that are qualified if the population is 50% women and men. Um, there are very qualified women out there that need to be um, profiled and need to be considered for these openings or these new board um, renewals that are going on. Deborah, how do we square this? Because uh, so many of the successful entrepreneurs we're seeing these days are, are women and they're taking uh, the world by storm on, on many fronts. And then on the other side, you know there will be people out there that go, oh, well, people that uh, that achieve any sort of success should do so on their own merits, not based on their gender. Uh, I don't feel that way, but there are lots who do feel that way. H- how do you how do you push back on that, or do we just not pay attention to, to those, uh, those voices? Well, my whole genesis of forming and launching Women Get On Board is because I am an independent corporate director, and I've been serving on boards for the last 20 years. And I can tell you, I always approach a board as a professional. I don't think, am I a woman? Should I be doing this differently? I am a CPA by profession. And so I look at it that I have a seat at the table and I can contribute in a meaningful way as a professional. And I think when people see that you have those contributions, you will be noticed for other opportunities. So I think women just have to have those opportunities uh, presented to them, and the network has to go deeper and broader than they, the, the small subset that's there today. And so I think if you show up and perform and deliver, you'll get noticed, just like any profession or entrepreneur, you've got to keep showing up and delivering. And there's a lot, there's a big pool of very talented women out there. They're looking for those, that connection to those board opportunities. What do you say to those? And I've heard this before in my line of work and others, you know, why does it matter to you? Like, why do you care if there's, you know, an equal representation on boards or in companies? Why does it have to be more women and less men or, or equal playing field? What's your answer to that? Well, there's a concept of diversity of thought. And diversity of thought can come in many ways. It can come through gender. It can come through age. It can come through geographic, ethnicity, culture. You call it out. And if you bring together a diverse set of individuals to the table, you will get more innovation. You'll be more productive. You'll have different ways of looking at solutions and and different opportunities. And so there is data out there to, to suggest that the more diversity you have on your board, um, the, the more of a positive impact it has and companies develop a culture of diversity and inclusion um, from a broader perspective. And so it is the right thing to do. And there's data supporting that. Um, and I'm not sure why companies resist, <laughs> shall we say, if the data is still only 17 or 18% collectively of all the TSS listed companies here in Canada have women on the board. Um, they definitely bring positive contributions and, and the data speaks for itself. Uh, corporations have for a long time trying to been getting away from that idea of groupthink. What, what better way to, to uh, freshen up the idea pool than to, to bring up 
and bring in individuals ha- who haven't been a- around, you know, the water cooler, so to speak, for for a long time, if ever. So, yeah, and I mean, I've had to frontier as the only woman on boards over the years, and I never thought any differently. I just went and showed up and kept contributing. And if decisions were being made in the men's bathroom, I would follow them to the men's bathroom. So if they were golfing, I'd go to the I'd play golf. If it was drinks at night, I, you know, I just had to show up and be part of it and, um, you know, not be intimidated or not feel outcast. I just like I had a job to do. I had a mandate and I needed to deliver. Deborah Brizotti, founder and CEO of an organization called Women Get On Board, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Deborah, thank you very much for this. Thank you. Have a great day. Our top story at CJOB.com, far and away, Loren has to do with a broken-hearted little girl. Yeah, it's quite the story that's uh, being shared by these two moms who are essentially saying they're not only frustrated, they're angry, they're sad about what's taken place over the last little while. They're sharing their frustrations because their daughter had signed up for a Princess for a Day charity event, but then was told the dress their little girl was going to wear wouldn't fit her. She's too big for the dress designed for the event. Global's Brittany Greenslade with more. You will be fitted with dazzling jewels, sparkling tiara. It's all the glitz and glam that's fit for a princess. But one little girl's parents have been told she doesn't fit. She told me that the largest dress they have was 26 inches. Um, Eva happened to be a 38. So they did not have a dress that would fit her. For the past two years, Eva has attended the Princess for a Day event with her sister Cher, who's been going through cancer treatment. The charity event takes 120 little girls, many with life-threatening illnesses, and turns them into pint-sized royalty for a day. She loves the dressing up in the princesses. She loves the kind of fairy tale aspect of it. She really loves getting to spend the time with her sister and her stepmom. But this year, the founder told them Eva is too big. Like, how do you tell an eight-year-old that she can't go to an event because she's too big to fit the dresses. I fluctuate between being heartbroken and sad and just really, really angry. The event's website notes a maximum waist size of 26 inches for children six to nine. You cannot have an age range and then a size range. Like, that is wrong. In a statement to Global News, the organizer says these dresses are all the same and similar in sizing to what one would find at the Disney store in their child size category. The statement goes on to say some princesses are allowed to wear their own dresses, but warns when wearing their own gowns, some of the princesses felt out of place from the majority of dresses being the same. While the women have decided to not attend this year's event now, they want to make sure no other little girls feel excluded because of their size in the future. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. You guys ever get told when you're little you look funny or you're fat or, you know, short or too tall or whatever. Yeah. My great grandma used to always ask uh, about my brother, who's that little girl? <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at no, that. No, but but it was it was my little brother. He liked to wear his hair long and she didn't she could never quite process the idea of the fact that he wanted to wear his hair as long as he did and it was very long. Um but those are the sorts of things that at the time sound innocent, but they can weigh on you for a lifetime, potentially. McNabb, you? Yeah, and that's just, you know, I'm a redhead, and I don't tan, and every summer, somebody would say when I was a kid, 
go outside much? Or like, why are you so pale? Or you're so white? And it's, you know, it's just an example of the things that stand out. And so I felt like I stood out for that. But it for years would sometimes debate whether or not I wanted to put on shorts or even wear a bathing suit or a bikini when you got into that stage because I was so, I was so pale and somebody would always say something, right? And I'm not, it's not like it's a sad story. It's not what I'm getting at. It's just the little things that you say that then alter your behavior afterwards. So Brett made the good point this morning when we played this story this has the potential to scar someone for life. The the one incident of someone saying, "Well, you're too big," might it, it will it will stick with them. It will stick with her. It will stick with her family. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I've had issues with my weight my entire life. I was never like a morbidly uh, like I, my weight was never out of control. But I've always carried extra weight my ever since I was a kid, and I got made fun of at school, and it stuck with me to the point where. You know, I'm 42 now. I've lost 60 pounds over the last year and a bit. And it's probably the first time in my life where I actually feel comfortable uh, looking at myself and being like, yep, I'm okay with that. Because I always felt like I just looked super fat and kind of hated the way I looked and hated the way I felt. But even still, there's there's this creep, even though I've come to a place where I feel okay, there's this creeping sort of fear that... I got to stay here now because otherwise I'm, my confidence is just going to tumble down again. And because it's been decided somewhere along the way what the threshold is, you know, like so-and-so, you know, if you're this height, you should be this weight. And if you're that size, you should be that height. And so someone says some just once, well, you're really big for your age or you're really small for your age. And then you don't get over it. I have a girlfriend who is six feet tall. And uh, still says she's 5'11", even though she's six feet and spent probably the first 20 years of her life in a slouch because the comment over and over and over again was, oh, you're really tall or you're really tall for a girl or I would date you, but you're taller than me, so I'm not going to. And so that's just all the little things that get said along the way chip away at you. And instead of owning your situation and being proud of your height or whatever the things are that make you special, we we try to hide them sometimes. And I, that's actually a tricky one for me because if I, with t- taller women, I, I often want to, to compliment them because they're tall because, because I'm like tall. It. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. But I know that that's a, that can be a, a tricky one and that can be a sensitive topic. So uh, tall women don't like being reminded that they're tall, but I, uh, I, I, I like tall women. So, yeah. I remember, uh, for me, another one that stuck with me, too, came at the dentist office, I think, when I was 11 or 12. Oh, boy. I had a retainer. For what, when I was a kid, it felt like eternity. It was probably, honestly, two years of my life because I uh, used to suck my thumb I think until I was like seven or eight years old, my parents would come into the bedroom at night and they would try to pry it out of my face and I wouldn't let it go. And then finally they got me this weird nail polish or it was polish to help you stop biting your nails. But they, it ended up working for me in the thumb within like a week. I was done with that. But I, I had a bit of an overbite, so I needed a retainer for a couple of years. And when it came out, I was so relieved. My teeth looked okay. But the dentist, the dental hygienist said, well, it looks like you could probably use some braces. The retainer didn't quite do the trick. And I said, I don't want braces. And she said, well, if you're going to want to get the girls, you're going to have to get Mm. braces. Needless to say, my parents never took me back to that dentist again. But that stuck with me, too. And now whenever I look at pictures, I'm always looking at my smile to see how do my teeth look goofy? Because they did rebound a little bit and they're a little crooked. And uh, 
it comes back That's to the, 30 years ago. It comes back to the whole idea that we've been discussing throughout the morning with either the Jagmeet Singh video where he was confronted by the man who said, take off your turban, you'll be more Canadian. Or this little girl who's feeling maybe perhaps like she doesn't get to be a princess because she's not a certain size. It's that idea of like what was somebody else deciding for you what it is to be Canadian, what it is to be feminine, what it is to be male and all those little labels that like we put on someone. And just now as we're talking, someone texts in and says, give me a break, suck it up and get some thick skin and move on. <laughs> I, I should point out the same person also wrote following the Jagmeet Singh video that it's the way a lot of Canadians feel. He's not the face of Canada. So okay. that person's decided that this is what we're talking about. Your label, you've decided what the label is to be Canadian or to be fat or thin or woman or man. And then you put somebody in that box. Yeah, all too often we are putting other people in a box. We don't realize we're doing it. And you know that old saying about if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Uh, yeah, it, it gets a little tiresome, but it's a cliche for a reason. But, the, you know, let's modernize it a little bit. If, you can't, if you're not going to say anything that can help someone get better or make their day better, uh, just don't make it any worse. At least keep your mouth shut if your intention is to to degrade or or put someone down about either how they look or how they're acting. And, you know, just think twice sometimes. It's not that difficult, I don't think. Kevin, the garbage man texted us earlier. He says, I'm over 50 and I hate being called big guy. Hey, big guy. He says, I've always been a heavy guy, 5'11", 275 pounds. I can imagine all the, he said, I can imagine all the fun names you've been called being a tall guy. Hey, how's the air up there? I actually, the tall comments never bothered me. I always liked being tall. So if someone tried to take a shot at me for being tall, I thought, well, I'm taller than you. So, ha ha. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, Kevin having to deal with, hey, big guy. Yeah, that's not cool. So. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.